Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. When you look at research on planned home birth, it has to be done with a critical eye. Who was attending these births? Were they licensed, regulated people? Because you can't generalize a bad outcome for somebody who births without a licensed professional to somebody who's birthing with a licensed qualified professional, right? Most women, if they birthed on their own, we know they would be fine. If nobody's messing up with their labors, it's a natural process. They would birth uncomplicated. They and their babies would be fine. But the the minority of mothers who need that, the life-saving skills of a midwife, if they don't have that qualified midwife there, you can't really compare their outcomes to the mothers who do have a qualified midwife there. And then you have to also consider were those mothers risk appropriate? Was that birthing breech twins at home has different outcomes than birthing a singleton fetus who's head down? Giving birth is one of the most significant events of your life. Sadly, the joy that you should feel can often be replaced with anxiety and helplessness instead. As a labor and delivery nurse, I'm revealing insider information to educate you, reassure you, and decrease your fear. In this podcast, you'll hear empowering birth stories and experts weigh in on a range of topics. Being Jewish also has me exploring Judaism's influence on the reproductive experience. However, I speak to anyone wishing to navigate their journey with more joy and confidence. I'm your host, Hani Fingerer, and you're listening to the Happy Birthway Podcast. Welcome to episode 47 of the Happy Birthway Podcast. So I got some great feedback from the last episode, and I'm really excited to present part two. But I also had a conversation with a very well-respected OBGYN who made me realize that I should clarify some of the intentions of my conversation with Judy. When talking about the benefits of home birth and midwifery care, this is by no means a competition as to which birth facility or type of provider is the best. There is never any best when it comes to birth. And you've heard me say that over and over again in past episodes. And if you listen to my first episode, you'll hear me tell you that you can't take the bias out of birth. And so there's never any best. There's education and information that you are provided with, not just from myself, but from many sources. But when you make your choices, your intuition is equally as important. And it's never my intention to convince anyone of, of anything. That's, that would be completely unethical of me and completely out of my scope. So I strongly believe that listening to your intuition is a very important part of not just pregnancy and birth, but everything related to childbearing and child rearing all the way through. And so this is not meant to be, again, a form of convincing you that you should have a home birth over a hospital birth or that you should use a midwife over a physician. This entire podcast is about exploring the benefits and limitations of maternal care in the U.S. and integrating the best parts of all of the areas of expertise, all of the experts that I can get on here. Um, you know, who, who, can, who can share their wisdom and share their pearls um, so that it, it can result in the best outcomes. That is always my intention. And so there's never one right way because people will always have differing philosophies about birth. However, I felt it important to talk about home birth and midwifery care, especially highlighting the benefits because all too often I find that there are many knowledge gaps in this area. And that's never to say that there are no limitations. And Judy and I will be discussing them in this episode. So while you may hear us highlighting the benefits of the midwifery model of care over the medicine model of care in this episode, that's because there's a lot of value to it that is overlooked, but it's not a competition here. 
And you will find other episodes here with doctors and high intervention hospital birth stories because there's definitely positively a place and a need for medicine. We are lucky to have it. And while the maternal mortality rates are getting higher in the U.S. with every year, they're still better than they were 100 years ago, precisely because of medical innovations. And this is especially relevant for those with pregnancy complications. My conversation with this doctor, who I have tremendous respect for, made me realize that maybe I didn't emphasize enough that our discussion here about home birth is relevant only to those who are risk-appropriate, meaning they do not have risk factors that may put them at increased likelihood for needing medical intervention in a hospital. Um, That would not be something safe to do. And I hope to air a future episode with this doctor who right now will remain unannounced until he appears um, to discuss what you should look out for and what questions you need to ask a potential home birth midwife to help you in your selection. And we will be breaking down the current infrastructure here in the U.S. of transitioning from midwifery care to medical care and the challenges that are involved here in the U.S. versus other countries, um, breaking down some research that's important to know. um, Because once again, it is important to be informed when choosing your care provider and place of birth. Because again, I'm not here to convince you of anything. I'm here to present different perspectives. This is a doctor who has um, who has support, who does support home birth in the right setting and the right circumstance and has experience when home births, when people who intended to birth at home have to transition to, to the medical arena. And so he has a lot of insight that he will hopefully give us soon. I also want to tell you that part of my intentions for this conversation around home birth is to educate those that would never choose to birth at home, but may have family or friends who choose to do so. And that's because I've heard so many times from home birthers that they felt so judged by others around them and try to hide it from everyone. Um, because they got so much judgment and people assuming that they're doing something dangerous. Um, And these are people who I've spoken to who did, you know, everything safe and they were actually really educated and made this choice from a very informed place. Um, And so I think that it's important for you to know, for the general population to know, because You know, of course, when it comes to anything having to do with childbearing, it's a great reminder for all of us to keep our mouths shut unless we are asked for our opinion or at least asked if the other party actually wants our advice or opinion before we give it. Um, But I hope that it can enlighten some of you that may not really know what safe home birth is exactly. Um, and to let you know that in the right circumstances, it can indeed be very safe and have many benefits over a hospital birth. And while there may be certain high risks for certain outcomes, in home birth, in certain areas where we're going to talk about, they are very, very slightly increased. And there are some benefits to home birth over hospital birth that are very increased. And so it's a risk-benefit analysis as it is with everything. I also wanted to just remind you that I am running a 20% off promo discount for my After the Birth course online. You can find it on yoladidacademy.com. And I will also put the link in the episode show notes. So use code SUMMER, S-U-M-M-E-R. The discount is valid only until June 30th. So we are coming up to two weeks left for that. So take advantage. It's good for someone who's been, who's about 32 weeks and on. But if you're earlier on and you want to take advantage of this because you will not be able to get it for a while after this, then um, let me know, email me, and I will give you access to it at a later time when you're closer to that 32-week mark. And without further ado, enjoy part two of my interview with Judy Ribner. Our emphasis is on the prevention of complications. Now, 
we then assess and monitor that the mother is not bleeding too heavily. And as we mentioned, home birth has lower rates of hemorrhage than hospital birth for low-risk mothers. But we are fully equipped for a postpartum hemorrhage in the unlikely event that it were to happen. A qualified home birth practice brings first-line medication, second-line medication, third-line medication, fourth-line medication, IV. We don't routinely give low-risk mothers IV because there's no evidence that that's helpful. Quite the contrary, it's an, an interference in the labor process. But we have IV for the rear mother who needs it, we will give it appropriately. Can I just say that people are not aware that in a hospital setting, if a mother is bleeding too much right after birth, you have, it's not like let's go straight to the operating room and I don't know, do, do who knows what. There, we give the medication, you have all the same medications that during mm-hmm. that time frame we give in the hospital. So a patient is not getting anything differently in, mm-hmm. in at home if they have a hemor- an unexpected hemorrhage as in the hospital. And you would know with your clinical judgment that, hey, we, we have to give this first-line medication. It's not mm-hmm. enough. We have to start giving a second-line mm-hmm. medication. We're going to call an ambulance mm-hmm. and have the patient at the hospital in 10 minutes and have the rest of the interventions if, if whatever you have is not resolved. Very yet. rare. Very rare. Very rare. Very rare. Because, first of all, you prevent it to begin with. Right. You know, you don't apply (laughs) interventions such as uh, Pitocin unnecessarily, which we know increases the risk for hemorrhage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Firstly, we prevent hemorrhage in the first place. Secondly, we're very well equipped to deal with one at home. So it's very rare that a mother should need to be transferred, um, like as you mentioned, for higher level of care for surgical intervention from a physiologic labor. The biggest hemorrhages that you're going to see in hospitals are typically surgical hemorrhages, one that result from cesareans because they cut an artery that should not have been cut, or um people who are on magnesium, right, or high-dose Pitocin inductions, people who had interventions during their labor process that put them at risk for very serious hemorrhages. Those severe hemorrhages at home with a physiologic labor, like the statistical likelihood of that happen is quite small. It doesn't mean it couldn't happen, and that's why we're there in case it does. And I'd like to mention that, as we discussed, it's not a rebellion of Western medicine. It's cautious integration of Western medicine. We're not going back 200 years in time where people with uncontrolled high blood pressure gave birth at home, where people, if they did hemorrhage, there wasn't so much to provide for them. You're, you're not saying, oh, they did it 100 years ago so they can do it right. now. Because we know that, right. yes, uh, thankfully, uh, are uh, as bad as the maternal uh, newborn outcomes mm-hmm. are today in our country, they are still better than what they were 100 years they ago. Were 100 yeah, years because ago. we do right. have, like you said, medical interventions that when necessary are applied and in the same way in any exactly. other discipline we don't apply unnecessary medical interventions in any other right. discipline where, where you know mm-hmm. if somebody has some kind of heart problem they're they're we're not going straight to like triple bypass for them right. <laughs> exactly know? exactly use the gentlest least interventive approach that can resolve the problem least which invasive. is what the home birth right that's the home birth model of care talking about by the way the historical outcomes of maternal mortality in the united states what's very interesting is that from 1900 to 1935, that's when the shift from from home birth to hospital happened in the United States. And during the 1920s, as there was a dramatic rise of numbers of women who went to a hospital to have a baby, do you know that the maternal mortality rates increased during those years? It wasn't until the 1950s that we saw a reduction in maternal mortality. And in urban areas where women were more likely to have a baby in a hospital in the 1920s, they had higher rates of maternal deaths than in rural areas where women were giving birth at home. So even in the initial migration and and uprooting of birth from the home into the hospital system, even in the initial time, not just now it's safer than having a baby in a hospital, even then home hospitals were not improving outcomes, which I find so, so fascinating. Um, and that was published actually in ACOG, the American College of Obstetrics wow. and Gynecology Journal. They published that a couple of years ago. But going back to the home birth model of care, the midwife stay for however long the mother needs afterward. So if there was a hemorrhage, not that that's likely, they will stay for longer. They will, if the baby were to need some breaths, to take its first few breaths and need a resuscitation to transition, not that that's likely. The midwives are skillfully trained to provide that neonatal support. And that's part of being a safe home birth midwife is to not 
rely, not need the infrastructure of a hospital in order to attend to an emergency. Meaning, if you have a physician or a provider who works in a hospital and when there's a baby who needs help, they need the pediatrician to step in, that's not a provider who can safely attend the birth at home unless they bring a pediatrician. You need to have a provider who is self-sufficient from a hospital infrastructure so they themselves can step forward if there's an emergency. So I wanna make that distinction. Um, Another important aspect to home birth, of course, is that you get the birth certificate uncomplicated. Um, In New York, Medicaid covers home birth. So it's quite seamless. Yes, 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 absolutely. Because it's cheaper. (laughs) It saves the system a lot of money because think of all those surgeries that they would have had to pay for and 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 NICU admission stays. And complication rates and, and NICU admission rates are higher if you have a baby in a hospital, a low risk mother. So Absolutely, it saves the system tremendous, tremendously, and the midwives come back a day or two later to do the postpartum visit and the newborn exam, and the midwives complete the postpartum care at six weeks. Before we continue, I wanted to let you know about a revolutionary diaper brand called Diaper, D-Y-P-E-R. These eco-friendly diapers are made with viscose from bamboo, so they're soft on your baby's skin while still being extra absorbent to handle your baby's biggest accidents. Diaper wants to pass on the savings directly to you by cutting out the middleman. They ship your diapers to you for a low, predictable price with no extras or gotchas. Set your subscription and let them deliver the exact quantity you need. If you need more, they'll deliver them promptly with their exclusive SOS service. If you need less, send them back with a prepaid label. You can precisely manage your deliveries using their website or their mobile app. One of the products that I think is really cool is their Diaper Sense. It's a small sensor that you attach to your baby's diaper and it continuously monitors the temperature and humidity surrounding their skin. It will help you optimize your diaper changes, reduce overall diaper use, and may help reduce instances of skin rash due to prolonged exposure to moisture. All you do is snap it to the outside of the diaper and connect it to Diaper's app. It will notify you when number one or number two happens. Subscribe through the link in my show notes and you will get a free bonus diaper bag just for trying them out. You can cancel any time with no obligation, but still keep the bag. Dr. Harvey Karp, the world-renowned pediatrician and best-selling author of Happiest Baby on the Block and Happiest Toddler on the Block, is recognized with discovering that infants are born with an inane calming reflex, which is triggered by five steps that imitate the womb. Swaddling, side stomach position, shushing, swinging, and sucking. The so-called five S's. Millions of parents, doctors, and hospitals worldwide have turned to the five S's to effectively calm fussing. In 2016, Dr. Karp launched the Snoo Smart Sleeper, a responsive bassinet that solves the number one parent complaint, exhaustion. Snoo hears crying and automatically responds with gradually stronger white noise and a rocking motion to soothe fussing. Additionally, Snoo's built-in swaddle prevents risky rolling, making it the only sleep solution that keeps your baby safely on the back, all naps, all night, as recommended by the American Academy of Pediatrics. And besides for buying a Snoo, you can actually rent a Snoo monthly. For a limited time, you can get a 20% discount site-wide by clicking on the link in my episode show notes. This offer expires on June 17th, so take advantage quickly. If you have been struggling with nausea and vomiting from your pregnancy, Emmaterm might be the answer for you. Emmaterm is a safe and effective anti-nausea wristband that prevents and relieves nausea and vomiting induced by pregnancy or motion, such as car and boat rides. It releases a low-frequency pulse that travels through the body's nervous system to the part of the brain which controls the stomach. This interrupts the nausea signal pathways. Emmaterm is FDA-cleared and designed to put you in control when you need drug-free therapy with no worries about potential side effects. Users can choose from five levels of intensity to achieve the best effect. The unique wristband design holds the device in place and makes it easy to put on and take off. It is FSA and HSA eligible, comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and a one-year warranty. Go to emmaterm.com, that's E-M-E-T-E-R-M.com, and use code HAPPYBIRTHWAY for 20% off of your purchase. You can find the link in the episode show notes. CNMs and CMs can provide an IUD, they can place an IUD, they can write a prescription for hormonal birth control, they can fit and order a diaphragm. You so can, can diagnose really... and prescribe and order tests and labs and everything. Like that's Absolutely. all within your scope of practice. 
absolutely. That's a very good point, Connie. We order labs prenatally. Yeah, so it's not like you don't do labs. I actually had a medical right. student yesterday, just yesterday uh, at work, uh, asking you know one of the residents, like, oh, so if someone's using um, a midwife uh, and not a doctor, because like I said, we have midwives, does that mean like they're not getting any prenatal labs and things like that? Right. <laughs> Thankfully, right. the resident no. set them straight. <laughs> Right. No, this is thorough and high quality prenatal care. And I have to share that what I've witnessed in home births, like one of the big differences that I've seen at home versus in a hospital is not just the safety, the superior safety. I've witnessed I've witnessed what's straight out on the Department of Health website that most catastrophic outcomes that happen in hospitals have the word C-section in there. Most maternal deaths in the United States in today's day were women who had C-sections, not women who had vaginal births, and certainly not women who had physiologic births. So that's one just piece of information. Most mothers who end up in an ICU had a cesarean. A C-section increases the likelihood of a life-threatening complication many times over compared to a physiologic labor and birth. Um, and many of those cesareans were unnecessary or preventable. They never would have become necessary had the mother not walked into the hospital in the first place. And sometimes there are a cascade of interventions. So they start with one drug, start with an, then they need another intervention, and then in the end, they're rescuing the person from an emergency that was iatrogenic, that was provider-created. Iatrogenic um, means, and it's a clinical term that means uh, harm from hospital, other hospital interventions. And I, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, that's a great point that you're making because uh, sometimes somebody will say to me, I had an emergency C-section, and if if my if I wasn't in the hospital mm-hmm. and my doctor didn't save me and give me the emergency C-section, I would have died or my baby would have died. But unfortunately, a lot of times the doctor is saving you from the other interventions that they themselves ordered for you to have. And because you had those interventions, they caused harm and they needed to emergently give birth. So the doctor is saving you from their own doing. (laughs) Mess, exactly. From their own emergency that's been created. Absolutely. And I will share with you that also when you look at the cesarean rate, the national cesarean rate rate right now in the United States is 31.9%. In New York, it's 34.4%. That is more than triple the ideal threshold according to the World Health Organization. If you look at industrialized countries that have a 10% C-section rate, that's going to optimize maternal and neonatal outcomes. We're more than triple that, which means the complications and the deaths, like very serious complications, that result from these unnecessary surgeries have outweighed their benefit, which is why we've seen a dramatic rise in complications over the last 20 years as the cesarean rate has risen. And and 10% means of the general population. It doesn't mean that 10% of low-risk women should have a cesarean. The numbers are way lower for a low-risk mother. 10% includes people who smoke, people who take, you know, heroin during pregnancy, people who are carrying triplets, people who have multiple sex partners and could have sexually transmitted infections. When we say that 10% of the population having a cesarean would be the optimal number, we're including those people in that population. It does not just include low-risk mothers. Um, If you look at the Californian hospital rates for cesarean sections, um, ACOG publishes the wide range of variation, which shows you how much it's based on how they decide to practice and not based on and, and what regional, like need. The, these places are a few miles away from each other. Literally. And the rates are like huge. And and by the way, yeah. we, we need to actually just mention quickly that um, your your risk of having a cesarean, the, the biggest factor in that is the hospital you give birth at, not even the doctor you yeah. use. Yeah. By the way, the single greatest risk factor for a healthy person to end up with major surgery at the end of pregnancy is choice of birth setting. Walking into a hospital is the single greatest risk factor for having a cesarean. Staying home reduces that likelihood sometimes by more than tenfold. 
and again, let's emphasize that. with still good outcomes for the baby. With Outstanding still, outcomes, with, with exactly. Still at least exactly. equal to. And I, I, I'm just curious, actually, because you're you're a doctor, so you're really with the research. That's your expertise. You're qualified to perform research. I've read that the home birth, um, the the research on home birth in the United States, because our system is so not uniform and universal, mm-hmm. like it is in many other um, countries where there's you know a, a collaborative care model where it's uniform, where the midwives have relationships with doctors and the, the you know there's there's uh, uniform policies and guidelines as to when where birth needs to happen and when transfer etc um, are are and because of the lack of regulation in some states around home birth and things like that the research is more spotty and it's not as as uniform because <laughs> we're measuring so many different factors and different states Mm -hmm. and areas Mm -hmm. so um Mm -hmm. you know i'm just curious but you're quoting new york research which is probably because it's a state at a state level where there's regulation you know uniform regulation is probably different um but i'm just curious to hear what your take is on that so good you know if you're bringing up a very important um a very important point, Hani, that when you look at research on planned home birth, it has to be done with a critical eye. Who was attending these births? Were they licensed, regulated people? Because you can't generalize a bad outcome for somebody who birthed without a licensed professional to somebody who's birthing with a licensed qualified professional, right? Most women, if they birthed on their own, we know they would be fine. If nobody's messing up with their labors, it's a natural process. They would birth uncomplicated. They and their babies would be fine. But the the minority of mothers who need that, the life-saving skills of a midwife, if they don't have that qualified midwife there, you can't really compare their outcomes to the mothers who do have a qualified midwife there. And then you have to also consider were those mothers risk appropriate? Was that, you know, birthing breech twins at home has different outcomes than birthing a singleton fetus who's head down, right? So you can't either generalize outcomes from what's not considered risk appropriate home birth to what is considered risk appropriate home birth. And by the way, there are industrialized countries that have better outcomes than we do that do consider twins home birth to be risk appropriate. And the reason that they do is straightforward. They say that there is a slight, there is an increased risk to those babies born at home compared to being born in a hospital, but it's safer for the mother to birth her twins at home than for the mother to walk into a hospital. So it's a risk-benefit analysis. So I just want to tell you that, that twins, breaches, breaches are also not risked out of home birth in certain industrialized countries for the same rationale. Even there's an increased risk. Right, absolutely. It's, uh, there's increased risks, but there is increased benefits as compared. So it's a risk-benefit analysis. But within the United States, we have pretty conservative guidelines. And in California, as I was describing, one the lowest C-section rate for singleton head down first time mothers with 11% and the highest rate was 77%. Can you imagine that there are, there's a hospital in California where not even including breaches, not even including twins, just one head down baby at term, a woman can face a 77% chance of having major surgery. I would love to know what the primary, what the um, the primary reason for that, like, is you know, because we right. know that the primary, re- like, the the um, the major reason throughout the country for cesarean sections for, like you said, uh, a first-time mother with a head-down baby is failure to progress in labor. Right, right. Which, Lack which, of patience. Right, it, putting totally. her on a clock. Totally, totally. <laughs> putting her on a clock. Totally. Not honoring her body's process. Not having the appreciation that there are variations of normal to physiologic labor using labor curves that were drawn from women who were on pitocin augmentation using using um limitations that work for a hospital system that's catering to a high volume of people rather than being able to honor this baby's journey. So you're right. The number one reason for a cesarean has nothing to do with a life-saving reason. It has nothing to do with an emergency. It's literally just time is working against you if you walk into a hospital So system. mom and baby um, are doing well, their vitals are good, right. baby's tolerating right. labor well, <laughs> but mom's not been dilated for four hours, she gets Pitocin for another two hours and she's, you know, not changing and all we care about is the Pitocin, mind you, we don't care about changing her position and, and trying to get that baby into an optimal position, the head I mean, um, to, to fit through the pelvis. So, you know, six hours, all right, sorry, you know, even though if mom and baby are doing well, it's just like, let, let's go... To, 
do a cesarean. So like you said, it's not life-saving. No, not at all. And I have to share that, you know, I'm trying to rack my brains for even one professional that I know of who's gone to five home births and has worked in a hospital system and would have their own baby in a hospital if they were risk appropriate for home birth. I don't even know one professional who's gone to both settings enough times that would have their own baby in a hospital, which is uh, which is a sad thought for me because hospitals should be safe places for people having babies. People should be able to have that choice. And maybe it's because they want an epidural. Maybe it's because in their head they feel safer. But for me to think that every last professional that I know who's gone to five home births and they could have worked for years and years in a hospital would not have their own baby in a hospital is is a non-reassuring thought, you know, about the hospital system. Having a fussy, nonstop crying baby can take all the joy out of motherhood. Is it gas? Is it constipation? Is it colic? It's hard to know, but there is a solution for all of those. Happy Tummy is a waistband that comes with an herbal pouch. When you microwave the pouch and apply the waistband to your fussy baby, your baby is instantly soothed. That's thanks to natural formulation of herbs, including flaxseed, chamomile, lemongrass, peppermint, spearmint, and lavender. Happy Tummy is all natural, no drugs or drops. And not only does it quickly soothe your baby, but it smells terrific. Happy Tummy also has adult-sized waistbands, which mothers love for cramps, stomach aches, and back aches. Use my code HAPPYBIRTHWAY for 10% off your whole order on happytummy.com. That's H-A-P-P-I-T-U-M-M-I.com. Code HAPPYBIRTHWAY for 10% off. Pregnancy and birth take a huge toll on your pelvic and abdominal organs. One in every five women in the United States suffers from some form of pelvic organ prolapse. There are very few pelvic support belts for women with a prolapsed uterus, vulvar varicose veins, pubic symphysis, drop bladder, etc. that exist on the market today. The products that do exist lack in comfort and fit. That's why Braceability has made it their mission to create a supportive, effective, and comfortable pelvic brace. After months of research, development, and testing, Braceability now introduces the brand new Pelvic Pro. It's an undergarment that's created to relieve aches and pains associated with pelvic floor dysfunction through innovative compression therapy. It's designed to keep you active and on the go. The Pelvic Pro helps alleviate the feeling that everything is going to fall out of the bottom. Braceability also has a huge array of pregnancy and postpartum belly wraps to support you through pregnancy and birth, including C-section abdominal binders. Click on Braceability's link in my episode show notes and enter Happy Birthway to get an exclusive discount of 15% on your whole order. Kiwi Coke Crates are a monthly subscription of crates that come filled with age-appropriate STEAM projects for kids, from toddlers to teenagers and even adults. STEAM stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, Art, and Math. Every crate explores a different theme designed to spark creativity, thinking, and learning. All projects, inspiration, and activities are created by a team of product designers in-house and rigorously tested by kids. KiwiCo offers all different product lines spanning a variety of interests and age ranges. Panda Crate is for babies from 0 to 24 months. Each crate helps babies learn by doing what they do best, playing, exploring, and most importantly, interacting with the people in their lives. Crates arrive every other month and are filled with two months worth of content. So if you're trying to figure out what a developmentally appropriate way to interact with your baby is, Panda Crates will take the guesswork out. For an exclusive 30% off discount on your first month subscription, go to KiwiCo.com, that's K-I-W-I-C-O.com, and enter code LEARN30 at checkout. That's KiwiCo.com, code LEARN30 at checkout. People who have to give birth in a hospital for the reasons that you said, and some people don't even have access to uh, providers right. that, that can attend a home birth, so they don't even have that option. And I will tell you, sometimes I will be on the unit and there will be a uh, transfer home birth, and maybe they actually were trying to have a home birth in unsafe circumstances, and there will be judgment mm-hmm. among the medical community, um, oftentimes, unfortunately. And then I will say to people, or they'll say these crazy stories, which, you know, those are the stories you hear, right? You hear about the complications and the crazy stuff that happens. You don't hear about right. the, the thousand other ones Thousands. that are... Right, right. But the prevented complications, com- some of which prevented complications. Correct, right. correct. But then I will... We have to think about, you know, and and ACOG is really not, uh, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecologists, they're not supportive of home births, but we have to think about 
Why are people choosing to give birth at home unsafely? Because they, a lot of times they had a terrible experience in the hospital. So what do we need to change? If we're truly concerned about safety um, of a mother, we have to look into why do people want to have a home birth and not go to a hospital when for them it would be indicated to be in a hospital? What is happening to them that they feel like they don't want to go to a hospital and we need to hear them and make those changes? Like if we're truly concerned, don't judge and say they're crazy. Think about right. why they did it and did how that. can right. we change that? And we're right. not doing that. We're not, Ikaga's not doing that. Nobody's interviewing these mothers and trying to find out what it is that we need Why to improve in a hospital. We're right. not doing that. Right. Absolutely, Connie. It's a very good point. When you hear of a mother who's high risk, who is not risk appropriate for home birth, but she chose a home birth, and many times it will work out for her anyhow, but if it doesn't work out, you really want to know what was driving her to make that choice. It means why why couldn't she get the respectful care um, and the care she wanted in a setting that was appropriate for her? You really have to ask that question. Absolutely. Um, I will share with you that, you know, as a witness to birth in both settings and, and having received babies in hospitals and having received babies at home, there's so much more to birth beyond safety. And a bad outcome can happen at home, you should know, and they're rare, luckily. And sometimes for those rare people, sometimes it's a bad outcome that would have happened anywhere. Sometimes it's a bad outcome that with a better home birth practice could have been prevented. Sometimes it's a bad outcome that really that difference in travel time, transferring to a hospital, made the difference for them. And it would have been a good outcome in a hospital. And I believe that there are- Thank you for that honesty. There are very rare, but luckily, and luckily they're very rare, but there really can be a bad outcome at home that would have been prevented in the infrastructure of a hospital. But you have to think about the bad outcomes that happen in hospitals that, that wouldn't have happened at home. In a exactly, home by being home. And that's why, the even risk though I counsel, exactly, exactly. And that's why when I counsel people who are deciding about making a choice about birth setting and choosing a home birth, I share with them it's lower risk for a low-risk mother to birth at home, but it doesn't make it risk-free. And for that rare person who would have been better off in a hospital system has to be countered, like we said, by those people who would have been better off at home and had a bad outcome in a hospital that would never have happened at home. But it's, it's, I want people to know it doesn't guarantee you a good outcome even if you're birthing at home with a qualified midwife. There's never any guarantees in birth. Exactly. People will call exactly. me and ask me, you know, I want the best provider. I want to know the best hospital. And I say, listen, I can tell you amazing providers um, that I think may be a good fit for you because different people have, you know, different needs. Um, and I can mm-hmm. tell you the hospital that I see will be, uh, you know, the most um, probably beneficial for you. But on that day, you got to pray though that other things there are not happening that there are a few nurses or that everyone decides to come at that time or that right. your you know doctor has been on call for 23 hours already and on the 24th right. hour unfortunately right. they make a decision that um, maybe could have been a better decision so I can't we, we can't guarantee anything ever right. and that is so important right. to know for people because when they're making a decision about where to birth and what kind of provider to use they need to weigh all the risks and benefits and no one can ever guarantee a good outcome so that's a great that's a great perspective where yes sometimes there are bad outcomes and a very rare situation where a home birth is not transferred in time and because of that time delay in care there's a bad outcome but there are so many more complications that are prevented in home birth that Mm -hmm. you are safer with in home birth Mm -hmm. I love that Mm -hmm. I've never heard it described that way but that's excellent Thank you. And, and you should, sure, Hani, and you should know that there is an inherent risk to life. There's an inherent risk to pregnancy. We've described there's an inherent risk to childbirth. Um, and I do like to also say that not all home birth providers are created equal the same way not all hospital-based providers are created equal. So 
people can report that their cousin had this experience. It doesn't mean it was a home birth issue. It could be, it was potentially an issue with that home birth provider Correct. specifically. Very Do you know much. what I mean? And yes. that's also important to, that's also important to not just lump it all together. And the part that makes me sad about our not integrated maternity care system is that hospital-based providers only get to witness the transfers. They don't know of the thousands I of uncomplicated, uneventful, peaceful, dignified, gentle home births, a percentage of which would have been major surgeries in hospitals and with the potential complications in hospitals. Mm-hmm. So they don't get to see that. They All they only see are get the complications see. that are exactly. caused because exactly. of overuse of medical interventions and um, not paying enough attention to preventing uh, health complications to begin with, right? So they see all those terrible things and then they're like, oh my gosh, like we see all these terrible things. How can you give birth at home? It's not safe. But these terrible things are actually <laughs> prevented from even happening in the first place. Exactly, exactly. And the other piece is that, you know, there's more to birth than just safety. Safety is a basic. But to just say that the value of home birth is because it prevents complications and the value of home birth is that um, mothers and babies have great outcomes, I think that's a narrow perspective. It's an oversimplification, totally. Yeah, yeah. There's so much more to birth that cannot be quantified on quantitative research. And there's a human experience to childbirth. There's That birth experience is going to impact the way that mother feels about herself as a woman, the way that mother feels about herself as a mother, the way she bonds with her baby. There's an emotional and psychological component to childbirth that it's such a vulnerable, impressionable time when a mother's body's open like that and to empower her in those moments, that she could feel that she's the authority in her process, that she can birth on her own terms. There's a value to that that is way beyond just the safety of home birth. Oh, yeah. And it's a trauma. People deal with so much trauma from a, a, a birth that, that even if the outcomes are good and okay or they end right. up okay, there's so much right. trauma. And so let's, right. let's, let's not deny the fact that and all this trauma is going to fe- affect mental health outcomes, maternal mental health Absolutely. outcomes, which also Absolutely. you know subsequently affect other health outcomes for both the mother mm-hmm. and the children and the whole family system. So let's exactly, let's not deny that. I think that sometimes, again, we get this like, oh, the mother's so selfish all she cares about is her you know how how things go go for her being a backseat driver and saying you know she just wants her selfish things and and she doesn't care about her baby no no she's not being irresponsible there is definitely a huge component of that totally you are you are so correct and and i i don't know if there's research you're you're the expert on research but i i i would imagine that the maternal uh maternal mental health outcomes would be much better when someone has an autonomous and and has tremendous satisfaction from their birth. Yeah, absolutely. That physiologic birth is correlated with high satisfaction. Physiologic birth is correlated with enhanced maternal and infant bonding. We can never put a value of what that means that you can bond with your baby better. How can you ever measure the long-term value to that, right? How can we capture that in research? And what you mentioned is so important that sometimes what's qual- what counts as a quote uncomplicated birth, the layers of trauma, the emotional component to that, it, it wasn't uncomplicated at all, even if on paper it was considered uncomplicated, even if the mother didn't end up with a blood transfusion, even if the mother didn't end up with a fourth degree laceration. I would love to hear the statistics, your statistics as compared to you know hospitals and and also I. Um, you know, I think that we need to have another episode where you can discuss what kind of emergencies can happen in a home birth, what interventions are applied. And, and also in that in that second part, I would love to hear about um, what when someone is looking for a home birth provider or trying to decide what are the qualities and credentials and what questions they should ask. So we're going to put those two aside for another episode. Let's talk about lacerations as the, our last topic because we're running out of time. And then, Judy, I would like you to um, also let our audience know how they can reach you, where they can find you. 
Sure. Hani, you, you brought up such amazing and important questions because as you know, um, and as you're referencing, a responsible qualified home birth provider who identifies an emergency that exceeds the bounds of home birth, luckily those are rare, but they will facilitate a timely, seamless, and professional transfer. So that's a very important discussion, what happens in the event of an emergency at home. That's an excellent and important discussion, but I'll, I'll focus now on the lacerations. I have still never once stitched up a multi-Paris woman in our practice. And multi-Paris means uh, a mother Someone after. who birthed before. Yeah. Who's birthed before. Not one mother, not wow. one stitch if I received wow. the baby. Thank God. And I've received babies that were quite large, 10 pounds, not, you know, mm-hmm. or, or after an episiotomy scar or after a history of you know, six lacerations straight. So thank God for that. I'm just sharing that. And I I don't take so much credit for it. I think that there was an extraordinary amount of wisdom that was designed in nature. And the same way the cervix can stretch and the same way a person's abdominal skin stretched to accommodate a nine-month fetus, a nine-month pregnancy, there's no reason the perineum can stretch. It's completely designed for birth. I give my mothers, I, so I give God who created nature a lot of credit for designing the perineum, but I also give my mothers a lot of credit for this because when you work with a mother who's motivated to prevent herself from needing to be stitched up, and stitches aren't gentle. I mean, you're literally puncturing the tissue there with a needle and putting in foreign suture material that creates an inflammatory process that firstly weakens pelvic floor muscles if those muscles tear and have and have scar tissue we're talking about long-term continence sexuality organ prolapse right can those those muscles hold your pelvic organs in place those muscles control continence those muscles are very important to preserve so you know, the idea of stitches being a routine part of birth should not make sense to anybody because there is not one natural process on planet Earth that routinely relies on an industrialized product. So it doesn't make sense that birth should routinely routinely relies on on people to get stitched up. It, that just doesn't make sense rationally. Um, can a tear happen that was unpreventable? I believe so. But I think that with proper caution, and if you look at statistics on home birth, the rates of intact perineums are by far, by far higher than in a hospital setting. And it's multifactorial. It's because women are birthing physiologically. They're birthing in a good position at home. They're birthing with an attendant, a birth attendant who has training to prevent, to protect the perineum. Some of the home birth midwives have such good skills and really care to preserve bodily integrity. And it's not push, push, push. It, that that dynamic has no place in a normal birth. And it's breathe this baby out or listen to your body. Okay, so slow it down now, right? Like at the end, end you just want to be very gentle in those final, stre- in those, as the head is crowning and you see this much head versus this much head, it's that final minute or final few minutes where you want to either use oil or you want to really have your hand holding the perineum and keeping the head in a good position and guide the mother to gently birth her baby, right? That's why we don't say that we catch babies. You catch a cold, you catch a ball. There's mindfulness to the way you receive a baby and the role of the birth attendant is twofold to ensure that there's a safe, healthy baby and to protect the mother's body from trauma. It's not like, oh, a cherry on top. It's like, that's what the birth attendant should be doing. That's what the doctor or midwife should be doing in those few moments. Um, I will share with you, and I want people to know that even if you've had an episiotomy and that scar tissue, it's true. It's less easy to stretch. I've seen, I've received nine plus pound babies over episiotomy scars and those mothers have not needed one stitch. Wow. It just, those are mothers who just need more caution. Those are mothers who you really wanna be very careful with. And also, most of our mothers are intact, thank God, intact perineum. But if they have a first degree laceration that doesn't extend into the muscles, it's usually better not to stitch it if it's in a part of the body where it will fold back together neatly and it's mm. not bleeding uncontrollably. The research that ACNM has published is that stitching like that last little bit of skin it doesn't improve the healing process it only improves pain it doesn't Mm. even improve the approximation of the tissue so there are a lot of first degree lacerations that can be left to heal what's called by secondary intention. It means to heal by the body's own natural healing process. So we would recommend in such a case that the mother should rest with her legs together so that the tissues approximate 
back together those first few days. Um, we, and unless there's bleeding that needs to be stopped, that would be the benefit of stitching such a laceration or if you don't think that the two, the two sides will match up and align themselves. So cosmetically, then a stitch could be beneficial. But for a first degree laceration, many of them should and can heal by themselves. And like I said, most of our mothers have an intact perineum, just so you know that. And that's, that's the way it should be. Yeah. And you can you can do those stitches and everything. Judy, as we end, please tell us how our audience can reach you. And I will put those links in the show notes as well. They can reach me at my office, office at Holistic Midwifery, New York, spelled out N-E-W-Y-O-R-K.com or on Instagram at Holistic Midwifery NY. Um, our telephone number is 646-907-5515, the second extension, 646-907-5515. Which areas do you cover? Long Island and New York City, the five boroughs. We're a team of three midwives, three CNMs. Um, we cherish birth and <laughs> treasure it as a sacred life experience and as the natural life event that it was designed to be. And Khani, you have been so wonderful to have this discussion with and so enlightened and and have such a refreshing perspective and I, I give you so much credit because you're in an environment that's steeped in intervention. You've seen life-threatening complications because the reality of those interventions is that they can result in rare circumstances, in literally life-threatening situations and rarely it can happen without those interventions that you can see a life-threatening situation and that you're able to uproot from that fear-based, um, crisis-centered environment where professionals view birth as pathological, where they see pregnancy as a disease that's best managed with more and more medical intervention, that you're able to unplug from that and have the clarity and the instinct and the intuition to appreciate the value of a undisturbed, peaceful, physiologic birth in the environment of one's own home with a qualified professional that has such a different orientation than a surgeon that you're able to appreciate the beauty of that and the power of that and the safety of it I give you so much credit because you're really in one environment you see I got to be in both a lot so I got to see both sides a lot you were really in one environment so call a vote to you and Thank you. keep up your amazing Thank work you. honey thanks for tuning into the happy birthway podcast head over to your what did Academy on Instagram to continue the conversation. You'll find the link in the episode show notes, as well as links to any additional resources, products, and services mentioned here. If you love listening to this show, you can help it grow by sharing it with your friends and rating and reviewing it. To stay in the loop when new episodes are released, make sure to subscribe. Remember that your health needs are unique and require individualized medical advice. The podcast is not a replacement and some of the information may not be appropriate for your specific circumstances. My mission is to educate you so that you can confidently collaborate with your healthcare team. I believe that a healthy mom and healthy baby are simply not enough. We also need a happy mom with an empowering birth experience.